Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. My name is Pastor Samuel. I'm the associate pastor here at New Hope Presbyterian Church. I want to first of all just welcome you, whoever you are. No matter how you ended up here, I'm just very glad that you were able to join us this morning. Uh, whether you're a longtime member or whether you're a first-time visitor, if you would, please just say hi right now. Say hello in the chat. Um, if you can figure that out, just say something over there. It's just a great encouragement right now for us to, uh, for those of us that are are still quarantining and staying at home to see those names and to um, have that interaction with one another. Of course, we're continuing to meet both online and now also in person at 10 a.m. Um, and whether you come in person or whether you're just watching us online, I always say this, please also give us the privilege to pray for you. Uh, you can go to our website, newhopekent.org, in addition to finding out how to get started with our community or other resources. The, one of the, the, uh, the cards that you can click on there is a prayer card, and we would really appreciate the privilege of praying with you and for you, no matter who you are um, and no matter what it is. So as we continue today, we're going to continue our sermon series, and there's only a couple of these left in the, in the Storybook Bible. Um, next week, Pastor Tommy is actually going to finish uh, as we get to the book of Revelation. But this week, we're going to um, finish off the book of Acts, basically that time period of the early church. And last week, we looked at um, the day of Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit, after Jesus' ascension, was poured out upon God's people. Um, and how the early church began to thrive. And today, the Storybook Bible takes a turn and kind of focuses in on Paul and about how he, on that road to Damascus, became a believer. And he went from becoming from, from being called Saul, the, uh, which is his Jewish name, this, this persecutor of Christians, to Paul, his Gentile name, which you see more often in the New Testament because he's reaching out to the Jews with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But rather than focusing in on Paul, I really kind of want to, because we're almost done with the series, just cover the last part of what was going on in the early church. And Paul, of course, Saul is a part of that. But as we saw last week, the, the real hero is the Holy Spirit. And the, the real way that the church exploded was not through the works of one individual, but instead was the work through the people of God. Uh, throughout the Roman Empire, wherever they were scattered to. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the way in which the church was smothered, and then the way in which the church then scattered and was covered uh, the whole time, and that when the church scattered out into these places, that it began to spread like wildfire, and that the leaders of the early church, people like Paul and, Saul, uh, Paul and Barnabas, were able to um, catalyze this by being encouragers, by going where the Spirit of God was already at work amongst people and adding fuel to the fire through encouragement. So that's what we're looking at today. Our passage is Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. Uh, I encourage you, open your Bibles. If you have a, a paper, hard copy, uh, look at esv.org, wherever it is. Maybe you have a Bible app or something like that. Whatever it is, I really do encourage you, open God's Word for yourself, listen to His Word, and be transformed by it. Now, as we approach God's Word, let us go to Him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, what a journey it has been from Genesis all the way now to the to the New Testament church, us. And so we ask now that as we read these words, that they would be more than just words for us, that they would be more than an ancient text, 
that by the power of your spirit, we would be connected with those early believers, that we would be connected to Christ and the Holy Spirit, whose wind began there in Jerusalem and continues to blow across the earth today. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name, by his grace alone. Amen and amen. Now, uh, this is Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. And we say thanks be to God for his word for us today. Now, I haven't seen any of these restaurants that I'm about to tell you about up here in the Pacific Northwest, but they are very, very common in the South, um, in the Deep South particularly. And when I went to college in Memphis, Tennessee, one of the places that we knew would always be open was a place called the Waffle House. And the Waffle House is basically like a really disgusting dirt, <laughs> the one in Memphis was, uh, really like bottom of the barrel kind of like always open restaurant with like breakfast foods. And so at 3 a.m. in the morning, it would be there for you uh, at any time of the day. In fact, um, there is, I don't think I have it written down, but I read once that there is actually a, a way in which you can tell how severe a disaster is based on whether or not the Waffle Houses are still open or whether uh, how many of them have closed. It's that, it's that kind of institutional place. But one of the things that, that, um, really shines in the Waffle House is the hash browns. And they come in six different ways. They come in uh, traditional. They come in in these cool, like, you know, diner phrases. Scattered and smothered. Scattered, smothered, and covered. Scattered, smothered, covered, chunked. Chunked is, is just ham. Scattered, smothered, covered, chunked, and topped. And then scattered, smothered, covered, chunked, topped, and diced. Um, onions, cheese, ham, chili, and diced tomato is the last one. So all these different ways and um, attributes that you can add. And so the one I want you to remember is the uh, scattered, smothered, and covered. In the same way that hash browns are scattered, smothered, and covered, we're going to talk about the early church in those three phrases. We're going to mix it up a little bit. But the early church found itself smothered in persecution. As a result of that, they scattered out into the surrounding areas of the Greco-Roman Empire, and they were covered the whole time by God's grace. So those are, that's our little phrase, remembering, remembrance for our first point today, is that the church was smothered, scattered, 
and covered the whole time. And then we'll transition to see how the church spread like wildfire in that context and how leaders as encouragers added fuel to the fire around along the way. So, um, smothered. First of all, the church found itself waiting there in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit comes and the church finds itself being smothered through persecution. The disciples begin to preach in Jerusalem. People are believing the gospel that Jesus Christ was actually resurrected from the dead, that he did not just die on the cross, but that um, he paid for our sins and that God said uh, amen to Jesus' sacrifice and that he was resurrected from the dead. They begin to preach this, that he is the Messiah. And those who are preaching begin to get in trouble. Obviously, Jesus was literally just murdered um, and killed for this. And now the disciples are here uh, a few months later pronouncing the same gospel and that Jesus is alive again. So they're getting in trouble with the religious leaders there in Jerusalem. And one guy a very, very vocal deacon, and I know I make this joke every time, but let that be a warning to you deacons, a very vocal deacon named Stephen is actually stoned to death for preaching the gospel. The church in this period, in this phase, is being smothered by persecution. This is the beginning of some very, very severe persecution of the followers of Christ. And there's a guy named Saul who later becomes Paul, who is so zealous for the Jewish faith that he thinks this is a heresy that's happening. He's so zealous that he's basically just trying to destroy the, destroy the church completely. And if you read in the book of Acts chapter 8, he's literally going from home to home, dragging Christians out of their homes and putting them in prison. This is severe persecution. And yet, what does Jesus say in the middle of all of this? It, it's it's kind of like, oh, there's a pandemic. Like, there's a lot going on right now, Jesus. We're all being murdered and dragged out of our homes and um, brought into prison. And what does Jesus say into that? He says in Acts chapter 1, Go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' command was to go. Yes, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, but now that the Holy Spirit has been received, you're supposed to scatter. You're supposed to go elsewhere. And this is an aside, friends, but we actually see this happen over and over again in history, that when the church refuses to go out on mission, historically there is usually some sort of event of of oppression or persecution that God then uses in order to make the church do what the church was supposed to always do. In other words, part of me wonders that if, if the early church had not just gotten together in Jerusalem and huddled together and said, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but uh, it's pretty dangerous out there. We better not go out there because um, did you see what happened to Stephen last week? The church is supposed to go unafraid, unabashedly to the ends of the earth. And when the church doesn't do its mission, God uses persecution, God uses circumstances to propel his mission. His mission will not fail. And so what we see happens here in the book of Acts is what happens in history over and over again. The church goes through this phase of being smothered to a to no longer being the church gathered, no longer being a holy huddle, no longer being a church that is just like enclosed and worried about its own survival. Instead, the church gets scattered out to the ends of the Greco-Roman Empire. 
Acts 11.19, which begins our passage, says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. So down in Jerusalem, the early church is smothered by intense persecution led by Saul. Stephen, the deacon, is murdered. By the way, we have some deacon positions that are opening up soon if anyone is interested. That's the last joke. The people are scattered to Phoenicia. That's this coastal area uh, with the two major cities of Tyre and Sidon. And to Cyprus, and that's this significantly sized island in the Mediterranean, and to a place called Antioch. Now, all of these places had significant and sizable Jewish communities. That makes sense, right? These are Jewish folks who have become believers and they are running away from the persecution in Jerusalem, but they are still Jewish. So it makes sense that they would have family or friends or communities that they could get connected to. And so these first smothered and now scattered believers share the message of Jesus Christ with the Jews in those cities. Um, Verse 20 says, Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Listen, this verse right here is one of the most significant and greatest events in the history of the church. You might not have known this before, but... Let me say it again. This right here, when they decide, these regular everyday lay people, these are not apostles, when these regular day people decide that they are going to tell the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only to their Jewish close friends and family, but instead they are going to spread it to the Hellenists or to the Greeks or to those people. This is one of the most significant and greatest events in the history of the church because this is the first general attempt to take the gospel directly to the Gentiles, directly to the Greeks, to those who were not Jewish. And it had, drum- I, can't, I can't underestimate this. I wish I had like a whole sermon series. In fact, we might have one soon that will touch on this, but everything in the New Testament This has extreme dramatic ramifications that the church becomes no longer this Jewish cult or this Jewish subsect, but instead it has this massive influx of different races and cultures from the Gentiles. And notice, again, it was not the apostles. It was not pastors. It was not people who were professional Christians who were being paid to be Christians. It was a group of unnamed, ordinary believers that went and shared the gospel in the places that they lived, worked, and played. And they changed the entire course of the world and of the church. Back in Acts 8, when the church had just been smothered, The church is scattered in verses 1 and 4, and they say this, Saul was there, giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Those who had been scattered 
preached the word wherever they went. And you see what happened here is actually the leaders of the church, the apostles and the pastors and the preachers, all stayed in Jerusalem. That was the hub. It was all these ordinary believers who were scattered out to the uh, ends of the earth, to the ends of the Greco-Roman Empire, that preached the word, that, that shared the gospel, that shared the good news of what Jesus had done in their lives. That is what happened. And the sheer scale that ha of, of, of evangelism that happened in Antioch was something entirely new that the church had not seen before. If you look at a map of the early church, there are actually five epicenters of the Christian religion. Um, we see as the Christian religion begin to grow. I know you know one of them is Jerusalem, because we've been saying it. Jerusalem is, of course, an epicenter. And as time went on, that, that became um, and is still a very important place for Christians today. Another place that I'm sure you're aware of is Rome. Um, that became the basis for the Roman Catholic Church. Constantinople was another powerhouse, as well as Alexandria in Egypt. And the fifth place, guess where it was? A powerhouse, the place where the church exploded and became on the same level of importance as Jerusalem, Rome, Alexandria, and Constantinople was this place, Antioch a bastion of Christianity, the place that later is, the, is the, the hub that sends out Paul on his missionary journeys throughout the rest of the Roman Empire. It became an unprecedented period of growth among unbelievers. And this, and much of the growth of the church, happened through such unnamed people covered in the Spirit and in the grace of God. Sometimes on occasions I read passages like this, and I'm reading the book of Acts, and friends, I get really, really excited, and I consider, um, it, is being a pastor really the most effective way to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is, a, is that the most effective way? Um, because when I think back to my time when I was a teacher, or when I was in the professional world, I think maybe I would have a greater impact for the kingdom of God if I was able to live my faith out there, scattered in the places I live, work, and play, rather than constantly being in a holy huddle. Most people will come to um, a saving faith in Jesus Christ through their relationships. Yes, there are some that just show up on a Sunday morning and they hear the gospel, and a lot of times that has to do, um, there, that is a part of the process. But that initial contact and that initial sharing of someone's life is usually done in the context of relationships. Relationships with friends, relationships with friends, relationships with co-workers. The way the world has changed, it's not through mass gatherings, it is done through individuals who have been called by Jesus Christ to share the gospel in the places that you already find yourself. And that's intimidating. And I know the last three weeks that we've been talking about this, man, that's super intimidating that I'm saying, hey, we need to be like Paul. We need to be completely dedicated to mission. Hey, we need to be like these early believers filled with the Holy Spirit. But the good news that we read over and over and over again is that when you're on mission for God, you are covered. The church is smothered in persecution. It is scattered out into the world. But... The whole time, they are covered by God's Spirit and covered by God's grace. Verse 21 says, The Lord's hand was with them, 
and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Listen, there are probably a million different strategies in reaching the lost. There's attractive ministry, there is missional living, there's personal one-on-one evangelism, there's satellite campuses, there's church planning, there's courses on all of these strategies, by the way, if you want to take some. There's this strategy of, of, you know what, the best way to spread the gospel is to reach cities, because cities are cultural influences, and as, as time goes on, cities are becoming more and more the population centers. Um, and you could look at this text and say, hey, that was a strategy, actually. Antioch was the third largest city in the Greco-Roman Empire with a population around the size of, like, my, of a Miami, right? It was strategic to see a Christian community planted there. But the most important, the most crucial strategy that we can have, whether it's corporately as, as New Hope Presbyterian Church or whether it's individually, the most crucial thing that we can do is follow the Spirit of God. Read here. The key here isn't their strategy. Wow, we can look at it later and say, wow, that was a great strategy. But that they were covered. The Lord's hand was with them. They were covered by God's grace and God's Spirit. And they joined Him wherever He was already at work. Leading up to this chapter in the book of Acts, God had revealed to Peter that he was no longer prohibited from eating unclean animals like pigs. Praise God for that. But more importantly, God was revealing that there was no longer this separation between Jew and Gentile, between someone who was um, a Jewish believer and every other of these multicultural scenarios that existed in in the Roman Empire. Shortly thereafter, right after... Um, Peter gets this vision that that barrier of separation between Jew and Gentile is gone. Shortly thereafter, there is an occurrence in the book of Acts where God pours out his Holy Spirit on a group of Greeks, paralleling the same way that he poured out his Holy Spirit on the apostles at um, at the day of Pentecost. All this leading up to show that the Spirit of God was at work to unleash the kingdom of God into the hearts of these Greeks. These ordinary Christians who first begin sharing the message with the Greeks see, quote, a great number of people believe, not because of their strategy, not because of their intellect or their people skills, but because the Lord's hand was with them. I've said this a number of times. Who is the key character of the book of Acts? It's not Stephen. It's not the apostles. It's not Paul. It is the Spirit of God. And the book of Acts is all about this third person of the Trinity, God, and how he, like wind, blows across the Roman Empire, blessing, empowering, and changing the hearts of people and reconciling them with their Father in heaven. Where do we already see the Holy Spirit at work? Join Him there. It may be a neighbor or a co-worker that you see God is at work in. It may be a kid's soccer league or a group of friends. It may be in your small group. 
It may be in a small group from this church or from another church, a group of people that get together. Wherever it may be, be where you are covered in the Spirit of God. Be where you can say, I can feel, I know the Lord's hand is with me here in this, where he is already at work. And be an encourager of the places that God is at work. This is exactly what the apostles do in the book of Acts. They don't spend all of their time strategizing and planning as much as they spend their time praying and discerning where God is at work and joining him there. They've already set this uh, precedent as this is the way in which they operate. Look back at chapter 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, what did they do? They sent Peter and John to them. And now, here in verse 22, it says, News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem of what's going on in Antioch. And what do they do? They send Barnabas to Antioch. So they hear about where God is at work and they join him there in the mission. Um, now, Barnabas was not his real name. This is the name that the apostles had given him. Back in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, we read, Joseph was a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So, the apostles hear that God is on the move. Aslan is on the move there in Antioch, the third largest city in the Greco-Roman Empire, through nothing that the apostles have done at all other than be scared and hiding in Jerusalem. And they send in this guy, Cyprus, um, the son of... In encouragement. And in the following verses, we can see why this is the leader they have chosen to send in to this moment. Verse 23 says, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, what's the first thing that Barnabas sees when he arrives on the scene, so to speak? The evidence of the grace of God. Barnabas sees right away that these people are covered in the grace of God, that the Lord's hand is with them. God is already at work here. And so what is his response when he arrives there and confirms, man, God is doing something here. Quote, he was glad and encouraged them all. That is Barnabas's response. Now, surely Barnabas saw many weaknesses when he arrived there. Um, just reading the letters that Paul wrote to these early Greek communities, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, you realize they do not have it together. Antioch is only about five miles from the sitter of Daphne, where the gods of Artemis, Apollo, and Astarte were worshipped. One which included cult prostitution as a part of their worship. Antioch, in fact, was actually known for their moral laxity, and the church was going to be presenting a different countercultural way of life, and they would struggle often with these influences that made up this capital city of the Roman Empire. Yet Barnabas, Barnabas doesn't focus his attention on weaknesses. Imagine for a moment that, let's just say you were the pastor of the first church, um, there in Jerusalem, you and their elders and everything else, and you hear, hey, someone else started a church. They didn't talk to us about it. 
They didn't get uh, permission from us. They didn't uh, run through presbytery. There's this church going on up there, so we better send somebody who knows theology, someone who's filled with the Spirit, who can go up there and figure out what is going on. And instead of pointing out weaknesses, Paul, um, sorry, Barnabas instead sees something new and encourages it. Some people, when they see something new, they immediately compare it with their own work and what has been done in the past. They focus on what's wrong. They criticize what they can in the process. They do this, and when they do it, they miss the fact that God is doing something new. Wise encouragers, people like Barnabas, see the good in a new movement. They are pleased with it, and they help it grow and become stable. Barnabas, as an encourager, he doesn't focus his attention on where their theology is wrong or how these believers aren't practicing the faith correctly. Instead, he focuses on the evidence of God's grace among them, and that made him glad. Biblical encouragers are easily gladdened. Verse 24 tells us more about the character of Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So the same way that Stephen is described, that deacon that died back in Acts chapter 6, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Barnabas is described so also. Faith in God's provision gave Barnabas the courage to sell his lands and to give the proceeds to meet the needs of the poor. Acts 4.37 Faith in God's ability to change people gave him the courage to risk supporting Saul when the others were afraid of him. Here again, in Antioch, faith in the possibilities of grace enabled Barnabas to look beyond weaknesses and to focus on what God had done and could do in the life of these believers. Um, you may think to yourself, how can I be like this? How can I be like Barnabas? How can I be a, an encourager to anyone or, or, or to where God is at work? I'm not trained. I don't know Greek. I haven't studied church planning or evangelism. I know any of those strategies that Samuel's talking about earlier. How can I be used by God when I don't have any of the skills necessary? Let me ask you a question. Do you have faith? Do you trust in the Lord to be with you? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Then you are covered Join the Spirit where He is already at work, and the Spirit within you will enable you to be an encourager of His work. The final characteristic of this encourager is seen in verses 25 through 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Barnabas gets there is gladdened by what he sees, and then decides to take a trip 100 miles to go and get Saul, now Paul. The guy who was persecuting the church has become a believer, and Barnabas demonstrates the humility necessary to go and get him. And that is because encouragers know that there are some things that others can do better than themselves. And they encourage such people to use their gifts within their own ministries even. 
This particular ability of encouragers is why encouragement adds fuel to the fire. We've already seen that the fire of the Holy Spirit was at work in Antioch, that those first unnamed believers preached the gospel and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord in verse 21. And as we continue to read, what happens when the son of encouragement, what happens when Barnabas comes, who is easily gladdened, one who is filled with the Holy Spirit, one who has enough humility to bring Saul along, is that like fuel to the fire, more and more people turn to the Lord. In the last verse, verse 26, we read, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This was probably the first time that a non-Jewish identity was established because of the sheer number of Greeks turning to the Lord. It shows that it was the identification with Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, that people noticed. These people, encouraged by Barnabas, taught by Saul, were always talking about the Messiah. They were always talking about the Christ, so much so that they became known as the Christ people, the Jesus people, the Christians. Encouragement adds fuel to the fire. Now there are all types of encouragement. Good encouragement, bad encouragement, false encouragement, biblical encouragement. I was once, uh, as a teenager, encouraged to run out in the middle of a, of a, a professional baseball game onto the field. Um, that's another story. I don't know who has been encouraging these contestants for like American Idol, right? Somebody has been giving them false encouragement. And so we read in our text that this isn't just encouragement in general. It is gospel-centered encouragement. Surely Barnabas did and said many different things. But what we're told in verse 23 is that he encouraged them all to what? to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. The main idea, the main encouragement is about Christ and about their hearts. The main encouragement is gospel-centered. It's that you will continue now with such a good start, not through personal efforts, not through your excellent works, not through even telling one another how great you are, but by abiding in the Lord with steadfast purpose and devoted hearts. Barnabas knew that as new believers transformed by the gospel of grace, that the path ahead of them would be a marathon and not a sprint. And the discipline required for perseverance comes from a clinging relationship with Christ who loved them and gave himself for them. The continued perseverance of this burgeoning faith community would come from the same source that originated it the Spirit of God, from the gospel of grace, from going to Him who can truly give us rest. Now, you might not have the gift of encouragement, but the truth is, if you are in Christ, you have been gifted by the star of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 6-8 says this, We have different gifts according to the grace given us, if it is serving, let him serve. 
If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Whatever your gift may be, follow the Spirit in using your gifts for the kingdom of God in the places like Antioch, where he is already at work, that you may add fuel to the fire through the gospel of grace. Perhaps you feel smothered afraid, persecuted, weak, or incapable. As you are scattered forth today, as you go forward, remember that you are covered in His grace and in His Spirit, empowered to go and join Him as an encourager and as a world changer in the places you live, work, and play. Amen and amen. Let me just say a personal thank you so much for your continued presence here on Sunday mornings. Again, whether that's in person or on our digital media. Thank you for your continued support during these difficult financial times. Um, And you can always give at newhopekent.org. That's where all of that stuff is. And just thank you so much that um, we can focus and continue to focus on our ministry and mission of, of sharing the gospel here in Kent and to the ends of the earth. Friends, next week we will continue. Actually, it'll be our last one in this sermon series. Stay tuned to your weekly uh, loop and to Tommy's update, actually, this last Thursday uh, as to the upcoming sermon series and uh, some of the uh, sermons in between there. Friends, thank you so much. And as you go forward from here, may the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be on us all, empowered to spread like wildfire smothered, scattered, and covered the whole way. Amen and amen.